0: But today we start a new sermon series. You asked for it. Um, We've done these before. and These are questions that people ask. But today we're starting a new kind. You asked for it. The youth series or youth edition. These These are questions that our students are asking. And we want to start off with, or I want to start, the one that nationally, the one that students most often are asking. And really it's two and they're connected. And we'll talk about these two. The first one is, how are my relationships affected by my relationship with Jesus? How are my relationship uh, relationships affected by my relationship with Jesus? Now, at, at first glance, this seems just a little bit different, maybe a little bit shallow, but it's not. It, it's, it's a deeper question than what we think, uh, because you have to understand, this is... Uh, sometimes we view things through the lens of the culture through which we grew up in we understand the world through the lenses of the culture that we grew up in and sometimes that may not see or we may not see the reality of what's really going on and the second question is this how can i make a difference in the world these are the two questions. How are my relationships affected by my relationship with Jesus? And how can I make a difference in the world? Now, these questions, I want you to see, okay? These questions are important for our teenagers the, and, and, and younger. You, can, you might even grab the early part of the 20s, okay? Now, for older people, and you know, you're in your 40s. I know you're like, I'm not old. Well, you're older, okay? You're Generation X, probably, if you're in your 40s. So 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Let me talk to you just for a minute, okay? The culture in which we grew up in is totally different than the culture that we have today. And sometimes we don't see that because we surround ourselves with people that are like us. For example, when we grew up, we grew up in a Christian culture. But now this is we are living in a post-Christian culture after the Christian culture, okay? Post-Christian culture. You're like, what does that mean? Well, when we were growing up, uh, there were some things that were just in place that you could just take for granted, that people just knew. Like this, everybody had a Bible at home. Every family had a Bible. That was just something that was, you know, it wasn't even questioned. You would just say, go home and read your Bible. And there wasn't a question, do you have a Bible? It's just, go home and read the Bible. And wasn't a question. Do people know who Jesus is? People knew who Jesus uh, is. They knew who he was. And so, so for us to live in a culture where these things aren't true is foreign to us in a lot of ways. And in fact, we lived in a culture where, when people were outside the norm, and I would say norm of, of Christianity, the norm of Christian ethics, Christian behavior, Christian morality. There was such a large population of people who believed one way that when people would step outside of the norm, there would be pressure either to get them to correct their path and get them to think, what we'd say, this correct way, uh, to think correctly or just to be quiet. Not to say anything. But what the culture we have now is very diverse. It's not that way anymore. And when I say diverse, I'm not talking about race, I'm, I'm talking about cultural, I'm talking about ideas, I'm talking about lifestyles, I'm talking about the way people view the world. It's, it's not as simple as it was for us. Really, the X, Generation X, we're the last generation that grew up in the bully mentality, bully Christianity. You know, we would bully people until he submitted. You know, a whole lot like, and you're like, really? It was a whole lot like, you know, when... Uh, Europeans came here and would bully people, the natives, into Christianity, and, and and really because you might remember when you were in school, if some kid were to say, "I don't go to church," you would go, "Ooh," and then you would start telling your friends they don't go to church. You remember that? That was like that was an occurrence for us. That's not what happens now. That's not the 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 norm. And so what we see now in the world is it's, the culture is totally different than what we understand it to be as we were growing up. It's changed. And, and so sometimes we look at the younger folks and we see this question, how are my relationships affected by my relationship with Jesus? And we're like, that's, that's a shallow thing, but it really reflects back on us. And here's the real question when it comes to it, okay? The question they're really asking is this. Do I have to be a jerk to be a Christian? In order to be a Christian, do I have to be a bully? This is the question they're asking. When they're saying, how are my relationships affected by my relationship with Jesus? And then it says, how can I make a difference in the world? Because our generation was growing up... What was pushed is not really make a difference in the world as much, but, hey, you need to plan so that you can have a comfortable life. But you don't have to be rich. They would always say, you don't have to be rich, but you want to be comfortable. You heard that growing up? You want to be comfortable. This generation, they don't care about that. They don't care if they're rich. They don't care if they have a lot of money. They don't care about all those things. In fact, they can live in a van down by the river. Some of y'all don't know. That was funny. I don't care. Anyway, so uh, y'all got to lighten up a little bit. Uh, Live in a van down by the river. They don't care about that. They could because they want to make a difference. They would rather make a difference than make a lot of money. I mean, having a lot of money is okay. I mean, they're not going to, like, turn it down. But at the same time, they would rather make a difference. And that's why you see a return to to things. uh, Well, you see it on YouTube. That's to have an influence on their people around them, but you also see in this, this return of TikTok and, uh, or in TikTok and in YouTube, this return to things that are what some of us would even consider like hippie mentality, where you're growing your own food, you're not relying on any uh, government to supply anything for you, you don't want to leave the world worse than what it was when you found it. You want to leave it better than. You want to make a difference. You want to make a difference in the people's lives around you. And not just a difference, but a positive difference. And so as we see this and we understand this, okay? So I want you to see this world that they live in, okay? So our younger ones are living in this world where their peers, they don't, even, they don't know who Jesus is. They don't know what Jesus did. They don't know Jesus was resurrected. They don't know the stories of David. They don't know the stories of Noah, Adam, and Eve. They don't have any of this background. None of these things. In fact, we, we, when we talk about these things, those stories, a lot of times, today I didn't, but a lot of times, if you notice, if I mention a story in the Scripture, I'll go back and give a small summary of it because you can't assume any longer that people have that background knowledge. So Jesus, I think, answers these questions in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, if you want to turn there. And he confronts these two questions, not, not that they ask these two questions, but what he says answers these two questions. So if you, if you have in your mind these questions, how my, how is my relationship with Jesus going to affect those people around me? And do I have to be a jerk to be a Christian? Okay, that same kind of mindset. And How can I make a difference in the world? I think here in Matthew 5, what we're going to see is Jesus answers this question. Now, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and some of you may not know this, but this is a sermon that Jesus preached on a mountain. There you go. Y'all are good. Sermon on the Mount. You get it? Okay. All right. So, Sermon on the Mount. Okay? So, this is in Matthew 5. You could read it. If, If you have red letters, you'll see all that... Uh, Most of all, chapter 5 is read there. And so he's preaching this sermon. In the middle of the sermon, he hits Matthew 5, he hits 13 and 16, and this is what he says. In verses 13 through 16, he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and to be trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He answers these questions. How will my relationship with Jesus affect my relationship with others and How can I make a difference in the world? First off, this is what he says. He says, if you follow me, you are the salt of the earth. Now, for us, we like salt because, you know, salt is good. It makes things taste good. If you don't put enough salt in things, it's like, oh, this is not very good. I need more salt. But during this time, salt was not used as a spice as much, very, really rarely. Salt had a very important uh, job to do, but it, it really wasn't for taste it was to preserve food. Now, when I lived in, in Virginia, uh, we were there, and I got to experience something that I'd never experienced before. We were um, in a home, and they had like a ham hanging from, it was in the, it was in the basement, it had the ham hanging from uh, the floor joists. And I was like, what is that? They are like, it's a ham. And I'm like, don't you need to put that in the refrigerator? Because growing up here in the South, you don't leave stuff let, sitting out, do you? Anybody in here eat stuff you left out from the night before? I know some of you do. I know it. I know. All right, but you normally don't. Now, and in my house, when you ate pork, you cooked it until it was no juice left, until it was almost burnt because you didn't want to die and get worms. Right? You didn't want to die and get worms. You'd get worms if you ate pork that wasn't cooked all the way. And so they had this salted ham that was just hanging there. And, I'm, and I said, don't you need to put it? They said, no, no, that's how you keep it. You just keep it right there. I was like, how long do you keep it right there? They said, you can, they said, they said this is like two years old. I said, two years old without the refrigerator. See, refrigerator, you in the south when you call it refrigerator. Anyway, so two years old. I said, Yes, yeah, it's a salted ham. And it, and somebody gave us one, and we cooked it, and all, and and, and on the outside it's all moldy, and uh, and you cut that off. On the inside, though, it's it's not ruined. And this is what Jesus is saying: is that you are to be a preservative, that you are salt on the earth to keep things from ruining. I I, I didn't I didn't understand this. Okay, so so meat you can salt meat, and that meat will last for a long time because the salt the salt keeps the bacteria and all from growing it keeps things from going rancid it keeps things from ruining and and so if they had an animal that they were going to slaughter if they wanted to keep it for a long time they would have to put it in the salt box And, and so they would salt it and they'd leave it in the salt box and then they would hang it up and then the salt would penetrate would penetrate that meat and make it so that meat would be good for some some people say up to three to five years would you eat meat hung in the basement Three to five years later with no refrigerator? Yeah? Some of you? Yeah. Well you if you was hungry enough, you would. Yeah. They make good. I'm gonna tell you this though. That that salted ham makes really good uh ham biscuits. I'm gonna tell you something with a little bit of honey on top. All right, stop. All right. So it makes really I'm getting hungry. And so it, it there it is. And so he's saying you were the salt of the earth. You have to be what preserves, what saves, what keeps things from being destroyed. Keep things from being ruined. That is our place to be the salt of the earth. Then he goes further and he says, Well, he, he says, Look, even if it loses its saltiness, is it good for anything? No, it's only good to be thrown under feet, to be trampled on. And, and now, salt can't lose its saltiness, okay? Because uh, it's always going to taste salty. But what it's saying here is it's saying that if it loses saltiness and the way that they would use it is if it got contaminated by something, that you couldn't use it to to preserve the food anymore because that contaminant could get in the meat and make the meat taste bad. It could make it be bad. It could cause it to ruin. It could make you you sick. And so if you got this salt that was contaminated and you tried to use it, all you're going to do is ruin the meat. And the salt was there. What was the saltiness of the salt? To preserve the meat. So, so it would be the total opposite. And if the, if the salt got contaminated, the only thing it was good for was to be thrown out and, so that it could be trampled on. And, and the idea of being trampled on, they would pour the salt where they wanted things to die. The same way that we do our ice cream salt. When you make ice cream, where do you pour your, your, your ice cream salt? If you pour it down the sink, that's terrible for your septic system, by the way. So stop doing that. Anybody pour it on your driveway to kill the grass in the driveway? There you go. How many old timers do we have? Like the old ways. And you you have a dead ring around your fig tree because you pour the ice cream salt 10 feet from around the base. Anybody? I heard that makes your figs do better. If your figs die, I'm just saying I heard that, okay? Don't blame me. I just heard that. But wherever you pour that salt, the grass is going to die. The vegetation is going to die. Back in the old days, and I just don't know why I thought about this. Back in the old days... You'll go to jail for this now, young people. Don't do it. Back in the old days, they would salt the fifty-yard line. Y'all remember when they do that? You'd be playing your rival, and you'd go write something in the in the field with salt. Coaches, man, coaches would love that today, wouldn't they, David? Yeah, they all might get arrested. And, and anyway, so we don't do that, okay? We don't do that. But wherever you pour that salt, it's going to kill things. And so it's saying here, the only thing it's good for. Is to be trampled underfoot to kill things. It's known for being a deadly agent now, instead of preservative, a deadly agent, something that could be killed and trampled, and that people would walk on it. And Here's what it's saying for us, okay? For older generation, sometimes we got it. We've gotten it wrong. That where it says that we need to be salt and preserve, that we've gotten, we've become corrupted, and instead of bringing life, bringing this this place where we would would save something, keep it, that really what we've done is we brought death. We'll talk a little more about that. And we've ruined the name, ruined the name really of what and who the church is. And he goes further and says, you were the light of the world. And it says a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. If you're out in in the woods somewhere and you're lost, like you got signed up for something and maybe you're on one of these survivor shows, not like survivor, but like one of those real survivor shows, you know what I'm saying, where they just drop you off in the middle of nowhere and they don't give you a whole lot. Yes, y'all know what I'm talking about, like naked and afraid. Yeah, they just drop you out there. Yeah, if I was naked, y'all would all be afraid, I mean. (laughs) They drop You don't have anything at all. And so there they are, and, and maybe you get lost, and you're hungry, and maybe you got a cut. Maybe you're in, this cut's infected. There's lots of things that could go wrong. You're, you're searching. You're walking. You're trying to find. You know what you're trying to find? You're trying to find other people. You're trying to find civilizations, what they call it. You're looking for anything. And if you come across a road, you're excited because, you know, if I follow this road, there will be safety. There will be resources. There will be things that can help me, provisions that can help me do better, help me survive. And it says here, a town built on a hill can't be hidden, so people that were traveling would see a hill. Maybe they hadn't seen a town in a while. Maybe they need provisions in the middle of the night. They would see the hill lit lit up. And they would know in that place there are provisions. In that place there is safety. In that place I can find what I need. And he's saying you are to be that. That when people see you, they see the, the, the life and the activity that you And They say there, there is hope there. And it says in four fifteen. 15, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Y'all remember this little light of mine? Y'all remember that? I won't sing it because I can't sing, but this. We used to hide it under a bushel. Y'all remember hiding under a bushel? That's what they hide it under a bushel, no? I'm going to let it shine. But I I thought a bushel was like a big stack of hay. I thought that was the dumbest thing. Like, why would you hide it under there? It's just going to catch hay on fire. That's what I thought. Doesn't that sound like hay, a bushel of hay or something? Anyway, so, but it was a bowl, so a bowl's better. So hide it under a bowl. And it says here that when nobody would do that, but instead you would put it on a stand and it would give light to everybody in the house. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. In the middle of the night, you hear something in the living room. You don't roll over and go back to sleep and say, I'll be aight. Nobody does that. And, and if you're married, your wife is kicking you. And she's asking you to do this. Go see what it is. Yeah? I mean, she could go see what it is, but she's kicking. Actually, man, you should go see what it is. That's your job, right? Protect. Now, here's what I don't do. I don't just get up and, like, in the middle of the night and it's dark and I'm not just feeling around in there, seeing what I can feel, see if I can see if there's a bad guy or worse, a snake or, you know, I don't know, wouldn't that be terrible? uh or, or or, you know, a bat. Anybody ever had a bat in your house? I have. That's 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 crazy. Anyway, so um a possum or a squirrel. You don't know. You don't know. You're not just around there feeling because you might you might grab a snake. <laughs> and we're not snake handlers around here. If you have a question, we don't handle snakes. Just just so you know, you don't have to worry about it. I get a flashlight. And I'm turning every light in the house on. If it's outside, I'm turning the porch light on. I'm turning lights on everywhere. Because lights reveal things, don't they? They show what's going on. They reveal. They bring safety. They reveal. They enlighten what's going on. And he said, you're to be a light that brings light to the whole world or, or to the house there and to the whole world. And that we enlighten, God uses us to enlighten people around us. And so we are light in this dark place. And it shows if there is danger, what are the dangers? Because if there is danger, there's something that needs to happen. I mean, if there is a raccoon in the house, something's got to change. Like, I don't just turn the light on and go, oh, it's just a raccoon and close, you know, turn and go back to bed. That's not what's going to happen. We're waking everybody up. Get a gun, get the net. Get... We're getting all kinds of stuff to kill this thing. So, so we're to be this light to, to, to bring illumination so that people can know that there are dangers and what dangers there are so that they can have peace. Because light brings peace. It brings a sense of safety and security. And we are to be that. But too many times, we're not that. We're up here. We've lost our saltiness. And we are only good to be thrown out and trampled on this way. That when people see a light on a hill, a city lit up. And they see a light in a house. And it brings Safety. For too long, people have seen the church not as a place of safety, not a place of of security, not a place that provides provision, but a place of judgment and a, and a place of destruction. And you're right. Like, I don't know about this. It's true. But just think this. Jesus, when he was on this earth, people would come to Jesus when they had nowhere else to go. Nowhere else to go. When everybody else had kicked them out and everybody else, were, were, they were done with that person, they would come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to put my life back together. I need you to heal me. I need you to save me. I need you to help me. And they were coming to him in, in multitudes. And we're supposed to be his representative, his light, the salt. And what we see is when people have their lives being destroyed, they don't come in droves to the church, but they leave the church. And our young people are saying, if I follow Christ, is it really going to make a difference in this world and will my relationship with Christ affect my relationship with other people for too long we as the church we've tried we tried to tell the message of the gospel and we tell the truth of the gospel but we say it in the wrong way like we are known for being angry and we're known for being just really hostile and really pushy and we don't see any of those things with Jesus. All right, man I need you to do me an experiment and tell me how it works out next week okay? Anybody ever do my experiments because I never hear back from you. I'm just asking. I want you to get home today and I want you sometime uh, while you're around your wife it's just you and her I want you to look at her and I need you to go I love you! Just like that. And then when she cooks a meal (laughs) did I scare her? when she cooks a me <laughs> when she cooks a meal, you look at her and go, "This is the best food I've ever had." Tell her that, and that's what the church too often does to the world in the United States. We look at people and we go, "We love you, and we don't see that in the life of Jesus. And our young people, they say, do I have to be that? Because I don't want to be that. I don't want to be a person that looks at these. Because I have friends that are suffering. I have friends that struggle. Some of us in the generation in our 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, the problem we have is we've never had friends that have struggled or that struggle with some of the things that we talk about or they've never been able to tell you that they struggle with these things. And so we have this... Generation we have now, they're saying, "I don't, I have a friend that struggles with homosexuality. I don't want to hate them. I don't want to be mean to them. I I, I I want I want to be friends with them. I want to love them. They, I have a friend that that struggles with addiction. I don't I don't want to be mean to them. I don't want to make fun of them. I don't want to scream at them. I don't want to tell them burn or turn or burn." I don't, I don't want to say that to them. They're my friends. I want to be there for them. I want to be around them. I, if I follow Christ, do I have to hate them? Do I have to be a jerk to them? Do I have to scream at them? Do I have to disown them? This is the question. Because And, and why is this even a question for them? Is because that's what they've seen us do. That's what they've seen us do. And they're trying to follow our example. They're trying to follow the words of Christ. And our example and the words of Christ and our example don't match, really? yeah, and so, so, so they're confused, and they're saying, "If I make a difference in the world, I want to make a positive difference. I don't want to make a negative difference. Amen. I, I want people that are around me. I want them to experience the love of God. I, I don't want to be out and picket, you know, picketing the uh, a group of people and." And them hate me? The truth is that God called them and called us to be a light because we live in a dark place. A very dark place. And sometimes we don't get it, okay? Look, I could have had somebody make fun of me when I was younger and I could have had a bully. And on occasion I did have that. Man, I thought that was the worst time of my life. You know? But here's the thing, anytime I got on that bus and I went home, I was good, I was safe, I was fine, I didn't have to deal with it. Today, they never get relief because of social media and texts. I mean, there was a time, look, if I was talking on the phone too much, there was a time my parents would pick up the phone and they'd be like, you need to talk to who? Scott, uh... He's been talking too much. You'll have to talk, call him back at another day and hang up. Amen. But they don't have that now. And so it's constant. It's a dark place. We live in a, in a place where, where it's dark, especially with our students. And they're asking this question because our students deal with things that we never thought about. They're dealing with depression on a greater level than we ever did. And some of us are like, because we're tougher. And the more I think about it, the more I read. It's really not. It's because they deal with more junk on a constant basis. Amen. And there's more mental illness within our younger generation now. Because they're dealing with more things, more junk. And 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 so this this place, when we talk about it being dark, they're like, how am I going to be a light in this dark world? How How do I show and shine the love of God in a world that's desperate and I think Jesus says you're the salt of the earth Jesus put you in this listen to me young people Jesus saved you and has you on this earth to preserve to keep your friends' lives from being destroyed by sin. And, not, and you're like, me? What am I doing? You share the love of God so that God can save them. And so it looks something like this. You have a friend that's struggling because for whatever reason, social media is, is cruel and mean and, and, and they feel ugly because filters lie. They feel like their life isn't very successful. Some of us adults feel this way, not not very successful because they're because your friends are always on a trip somewhere. Just so you know, Facebook is in Facebook, social media, Instagram, Snapchat, all that they only let you see the good parts, by the way. Amen. You don't see all the stuff behind there, but Amen. So they're struggling with their identity, who I am, I'm ugly, I wish I could be and they don't see any way out of being that and You come alongside them and you let them know that they are specially created by God in the image of God. And that they are valuable not because somebody tells them that they're valuable. And they're not worthless because somebody told them that they were worthless. But they are valuable because they are created by God and that you will be with them. And more importantly, God has a plan for them. And God wants to restore their beauty their sense of beauty and let them know and sometimes it's because we get to that place and and I don't know if if it's somebody in here because I didn't spend this much time on on it this morning but if you're in here and you're young and you're feeling that way and you think I have to do these things because sometimes when you don't feel beautiful you perform instead because you want people to love you and like you and so if you can't get them to love and like you by the way you look you try to get them to love and like you by the way you perform. And, and, and so if you're in here and, and you're trying to get somebody to love you and perform for them, and that could be anything, that could be your parents with with anything that you do, you're performing for them, or it could be the person that you date and you're performing for them. What I would tell you is that these people will leave you empty Amen. and that God will satisfy completely In time. In time. He has the right person for you. You're just not old enough to meet him yet. He has the right person for you. You you hadn't learned the right lesson yet. God has the right person for you. You just haven't haven't gone through this valley so y'all can work together yet. God has a plan for you. Don't give up on God because God won't give up on you. He says, let your light shine before the people around you. And when you do that, you can make a difference in the lives around us. You can make a difference in in the lives of others. You can make a difference. If that is your question, you can make a difference. Bigger than any other generation, you are needed. You could make the diff, a different a difference in, in, in our lives, and God just laid this on my heart at the very end of the service last time, but we've done such a horrible job at this, young folks, you could teach us how to be salt and light in a lot of ways. You could teach us how to love people that are different than us and and, and watch not accept the way that they're different, but i mean not excuse me, accept the way that they're different, but not not say what they are doing is correct. Let me show you what I mean. Just because I disagree with somebody does not mean I hate them. Because I disagree with everybody in some way. Yes, I disagree with my wife, my children, my mother, my in-laws. I disagree with them, but just because I disagree doesn't mean I don't love them. You can disagree and still love somebody. And I want to say that some of us, some of our generation has forgotten that. And so, so, younger folks, you can teach us what it means to make the difference in the lives of people around us as we follow God, as we pour out the love of God on them. Because you were called to influence people. That's, that's what it is. Salt and light, salt and light influences the environments in which they're found. Salt influences what you put it on and it keeps it from ruining Light influences an environment by driving out the darkness. Both bring safety. Both bring peace. Both bring hope. You are to influence people with the hope, the safety, the security, the salvation of God. Reassure them that it's worth it. Reassure them that, that if they follow Christ, they can impact the lives of others, listen to me, in a positive way. And you can show the love of God to others that will draw people to Him, to draw people to Jesus. And your life can lead people to glorify Jesus. Your life can draw people to Him. Too often, okay? Again, here it is. Just truth, okay? Too often the lives of believers drive people away. God doesn't want that. He wants our lives to draw people to Him. It just said right there that you would be salt and light and that people would see your good deeds and that they would glorify the Father. Too often we use this excuse. This is what we'll say. Well, they just are convicted by my lifestyle. No, they just don't like you because you are a jerk. Amen. There you go. Come on. Uh. And so, so we can get to that, that place where here we are, and 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 we're loving God and we're loving people. And you see, Jesus, he was so tender with sinners. The woman that was caught in adultery, that was thrown at his feet, he didn't say stone her. They were ready, the religious leaders were ready to stone her. But he just started writing in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote in the dirt, but whatever he wrote in the dirt got the attentions of the religious leaders because they started dropping the stones. And there's a lot of people that say that maybe he wrote the Ten Commandments. I don't know. Some people say he started writing down personal sins. That's the one I think, maybe, but he started writing them down. And whatever it was, they started dropping the stones and walking off. And then they were all gone. he looked up and said, where are your accusers? She said, they're gone. And he says, I don't accuse you either. Go sin no more. Or or you see him. Here he is, a man that's despised. He's a traitor to his people. He's a thief. And he looks up into the tree and says, Zacchaeus, I want you to come to my house. Or I want to go to your house. I'm sorry. I want to go to your house. And I want to talk to you. I, I want to... Talk about what's going on. I want to talk about what's happening in your life. How did you get here? And what we find out is that Zacchaeus comes to Christ. He has a changed life. And you have Jesus laying at a table and a prostitute comes and cries on his feet and washes his feet with her tears and wipes it with her hair and puts perfume on his feet. And Jesus doesn't reject her. The religious leaders said that they should. The religious leaders actually thought if Jesus knew who this was, he wouldn't even let her touch him. And Jesus said, You hadn't offered me anything. You hadn't respected me or worshipped me in any way. And this woman here, she hadn't stopped, and he used the idea of a doctor. And I'm done, okay? Close to being done. He said, "Who needs a doctor? The well or the sick?" And the Pharisee said, the, "The sick." And he said, "I came to the sick." He also one time told them this. He said, What if there was a person who owed 5000 and one that owed, I'm just making up a number for you, okay? And somebody owed a million and, and they forgave both. Who would love him more? And he said, Perhaps, they said, No question, the one that owed more. Sometimes we forget how much we owed. Hey, hey. Young people, the question is, and is this. How will your life affect those lives around you if you follow Christ? If you're the salt and the light of the earth. It will cause them to bring glory or to glorify Jesus. It will impact them in a positive way. In a way that leads them away from destruction. In a way where here they are. Deserving to be stoned and Jesus says, I do not accuse you, go sin no more. In a positive way. Like the woman at the well. Jesus didn't say, you are terrible. You're the worst girl the worst woman I've ever created. He never said that. He said, I know you've been hurt. I know your life is a mess. But he says, I can give you in you. I can satisfy what you're looking for. You came here looking for water, but I can give you a spring of living water that comes up in you. What you're looking for in all these men, this acceptance, I can give you. I can provide that. I can... I can bring that satisfaction. Whatever you're lacking, I can bring. And he brings healing. And he brings the broken pieces back together. Young people, you have people, you have friends, lives, people around you whose lives are in pieces and broken and torn apart. And they're looking everywhere to try to find some kind of hope. Be a city on a hill. Be a city on a hill. Be a place where they know they can find provision and help. Now, a few weeks ago, and this came to mind while I was doing this, sometimes you just don't know, you don't understand what's going on, and a few weeks ago, I was just in the hall. Me and Brandon were actually in the hall together, and there a kid, and something had happened, and we really can't talk about it, what all, whatever. But I was telling him, hey, you can get this done. You can get this fixed at this place, and here's what you need. And just walked him through the process of being able to fix whatever it is that got messed up. And the next day, I, and I didn't think anything else much about it. And the next day, I'm in the hall, and this is a quiet kid. Kind of to himself, he came up and said, "Thank you so much for helping me out." Oh, you're welcome. You know, I'm just like, I'm still not thinking it's like that big of a deal. Thank you so much. And it wasn't a few days later he came back, and it may have been later that day. You know, my days run together. Y'all know how that works when you get old. And he said, "Hey, when does your church meet? Because I want to come." And, it, and as I was putting this together, that had nothing to do with who I am and what I do. It had everything to do with Jesus, just drawing people in because we act like him. Amen. You know, I'm, can I go off script? <laughs> I don't guess I have to ask. I'm going to go off script anyway. And, and, okay, so. <laughs> I wonder if that's why. Why? I wonder if that's why, like, we can't get people to come to church with us. Because, like, our lifestyle, we're we're not salt and light in the way that people go, I want what you have. Because I think about salt trampled under feet. I think that's what we have become in a lot of ways. And they look at us and they go, I don't want anything you have because you're mean, like you're selfish. I don't want anything that you have because, man, you're you're judgmental. Hey, no way I want to be like you. So we invite him. Hey, won't you come? Like they're like, I ah, I don't know. I don't. I got other places to be. I got other things to do. Is the salt lost its saltiness because we've become corrupted by our own selfish ambitions and hate and frustrations? By our own personal agendas? By trying to get people to be like us instead of be like Christ? Trying to get people to think like us instead of think like Jesus? Have we somewhere in our mind put people in categories? And be like, yeah, these are the people that Jesus would love to come to church. And these are the people He doesn't want there. In a minute, we're going to have a time to pray and I just here's what I, I I want us to pray for one I want us to pray for us as a church that we would be salt and light that would draw people in we would be a city on a hill that when people's lives are torn apart they, they've fallen apart they're disgraced nobody else wants them we want them Amen. and that they would come here and they would see this as a place of safety and rescue and provision. That that we would be an influence to to preserve life so that lives wouldn't go rancid, so they wouldn't ruin. And then, students, I, I, I I want you to pray for us that are older, that we could... Learn to view people like Christ sees them and that we could be a better example for you. That we could be an example of what it means to to love people where they are and bring them to Christ. Man, because we're jaded. We're hard-hearted. We don't like people that aren't like us. We have in our mind the kind of people we want here, and we don't know about the rest of the world. But these are the kind that we want. Pray for us that we can learn from you, and that we can learn from God, and that we can love people. That we don't we don't have to agree with what they do. But that we can have a friend that say so we have a, a homosexual friend, we can go eat with them. Like that's that's something right there. I don't know. Jesus ate with Zacchaeus and sinners all the time. In fact, Jesus got a bad reputation. They said he eats with sinners all the time. He's a he's a glutton and a wine bibber. That's what they called him because he ate with sinners all the time. Maybe it's time to ruin the church's reputation a little bit. Amen. And then adults pray for our students that, as they ask this question, because this is a central question if they're going to follow Christ or not. And here's you want to know the hard part. And this is what we have to. Here's what Here's the question that they're really asking. If I have to look like the adults around me, I would rather not follow Christ. That's really the question they're asking or what the statement they're saying. That we would pray for our young folks. That, that in a way that they wouldn't set us up as a standard, but that Jesus would be, our, be their standard the same way that he is our standard. And that we would do a better job And with that, men, I'm going to ask you specifically here in just a second to come and pray for us as a church, that you would come to the altar and you would pray for me that and for Brandon and for Brian, that we would lead this church to be a church that's salt and light. And it sounds good, but it's going to come with frustrations and Hardships and distractions and all kinds of stuff. And that you would pray for us in that. And you would pray for yourself as you lead your family in that. And because as we do this, I'm going to tell you, we're going to need some people that will stand with us. And say, no matter what, I'm with you. If we're reaching people for Christ, I'm with you. and then the broken pour in the door and the hurt come in the door and the prostitutes show up and the tax collector shows up what a question ask that you would stand Lord Father I come right now Lord, in so many ways, you're dealing with me with this. Lord, deal with us as a church. God, let us, let us not be content with reaching the well. Father, help us to remember that we were sick in desperate need. And our lives, our lives were being destroyed, ruined. Before you showed up. God, I pray for their young folks. I pray for our young people. I pray for the ones who's image is broken because of the influence of this world that they would have a restored image of who they are in you that the ones who feel ugly Lord you would let them see their beauty in your eyes the ones who feel useless Lord that you would restore purpose in their hearts today Lord, let this be a place where people heal. Let this be a place where people come to find hope. Lord, Father, let us be a church that mends the broken, not kick them out the door. I'm opening up the altar. If you want to come and pray for our church, that would be incredible. But anybody else that needs to come and pray or anybody, just pray where you are. Whatever it is you do, you please follow the leader of the Holy Spirit.